Hi, uh, welcome back to the Everyday Theologian podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, uh, Chad Lewis, uh, here again with Pastor Ty. Uh, we missed last week, so we're we're a week late on this episode. Um, thank you, everybody who listens regularly, for your patience. Uh, we had some uh, scheduling conflicts that just kept pushing us back, um, but we're here. Uh, we will have another episode out next week. Uh, we've got a, a wonderful uh, conversation and interview with uh, Susan Winters, our children's director, um, as she gets ready uh, to retire and go on to the next stages of her life. Um, we're incredibly excited for her, and uh, it, that episode will just be a good time to celebrate uh, the ministry that she's had and, and kind of reminisce a little bit. Uh, but this week... Um, since this past Sunday was just uh, Pentecost and Confirmation, we wanted to talk a little bit uh, about those um, special times in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the season of Pentecost, kind of what it's about, why we continue to celebrate it, um, and what Confirmation uh, brings to the life of a Christian. Like why that plus baptism and just kind of the whole the whole thing around um confirmation um so that's what we're talking about today yeah um let's dive in okay (laughs) so we're starting off with pentecost 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 um you know it's i think it's just so important for us to recognize that uh our our protestant uh, Christian um, celebrations didn't start with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's important for us to recognize. It's just another way for us to remember it's not about us. This is about God. Things that have been instituted a long time before we came around. Um, you know, we didn't create this. We didn't come up with this on our own. Pentecost is something that God did. And while we um, celebrate Pentecost today in the Protestant church as the birthday of the church, as the pouring out of the Holy Spirit um, on the people who had been gathered, the disciples who had been gathered together um, to celebrate. They were actually celebrating, wait for it, Pentecost. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They were celebrating the feast, um, the feast of Pentecost. They were celebrating as... Um, as Jewish people, as the people of Israel, they were celebrating something that God had instituted uh, back, you know, thousand plus years before that. That they were being called to a pilgrimage. That you know, when you were um, celebrating, there were several feasts that were celebrated. This one was celebrated fifty days after the Passover celebration. And, and these were times when you were called to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You were called to bring a special offering um, for those times. And so, you know, just as Jesus had been celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed, and we mm-hmm. like to then celebrate two days later Easter <laughs> with his yeah. resurrection. Um, 50 days later... Uh, the Jewish people and and 
therefore the people who were gathered in that room and all of the people around at that time, um, they were celebrating Pentecost. And I just, I just love that this is not something new to us. And I think it's a really important piece that we remember um, that this, that these festivals, that these celebrations were happening a long time before Jesus was even walking the earth, mm-hmm. and that Jesus took part in them as well. Yeah, you know, he wasn't coming saying, "Don't." Um, don't remember these things. You know, he didn't come saying, don't participate in the Passover and don't remember Pentecost and and don't take part in, you know, the the other main festival of the time, the festival of booths. Don't he he wasn't coming saying, don't do these things. These were the times when um when God was using these times to to bring more people to see what Jesus um how Jesus fulfilled prophecies, how Jesus was calling us to more than what uh, they were doing. Because, you know, and still to this day, generation after generation, as faithful as God is and has been and will be, we're still human. And so we get we like to come up with our own uh, scenarios, our own new traditions or reasons to celebrate. And and we like to kind of take over mm-hmm. and make things about us instead of about God and what God has called us to. So, you know, Pentecost is a time that we remember um, uh, originally, more specifically, the time that God gave Moses and then Moses brought to the people the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Um, so, so there's that remembrance of what God gave to the people that, um, at that time and, and the call that God placed on the people to a life of holiness, a life that was set apart, a life that was different from those around them. And that is, so that's like a big part for us then too. Because we go from that traditional understanding of Pentecost that, remember, is still celebrated by by our Jewish brothers and sisters today, (laughs) but we then move to this this new thing about the birth of what we call and understand in the Christian life as the church, this body of believers who now um, believe that God gave what had been promised— that that God, after Jesus was um, was resurrected and after after He ascended, saying that he, that there would be another who would come, one that would be a comforter and a teacher, one that would remind us of all the things that Jesus had taught, and that that was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon us, upon those people gathered. And so, not only is Pentecost a time to remember that we are called to lives of holiness, but also a time to remember um, and celebrate that that the church was really born in a in an incredible new way um, out of that time together. And uh, yeah, so I, I just I love Pentecost. I'm so grateful for it in so many ways. Yeah. It it is, I think, one of the most. Uh, I don't want to say underappreciated, mm-hmm. but uh, underrecognized, underrecognized, yeah. and underemphasized mm-hmm. uh, holidays that the church has. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you get two significant holidays within five weeks of each other. Yeah. Five, six weeks. And it's both of them is God taking something that was previously established and doing something new with it. Mm-hmm. Right. We've got a new covenant on Passover with Jesus mm-hmm. uh, fulfilled through that weekend into the resurrection. And then the previous call of being uh, told to be holy and set apart. And now God giving us the power, his mm-hmm. power to fulfill what he wanted us to do. Mm-hmm. But not just here's the ability to do it. It's, it's an active my spirit is with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be holy kind of together. Mm-hmm. Uh, still a process for us. Sure. Yep. Um, but it is, uh, it is that, that, that power given by God to be more confident, I guess. I mean, that, that's what I read after Pentecost, uh, the disciples, uh, now apostles went from kind of being afraid to just going everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I kind of see that, at least in my experience with being in church, um, crossing the threshold of accepting uh, Jesus and accepting uh, the call to kind of be a part of a church body and what the church is doing. Um, it's this, the, I think there's a tangible difference of like being a little more, uh, timid and then just kind of be like, Oh, this is cool. We're all doing this together. Mm. And it's easier to at least now to like just jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to watch and s- discover how the spirit moves within that. Um, and it's to me, Pentecost is the second most important holiday for us to celebrate <laughs> and the fact that it's just like this one little thing in spring and then it feels like it's over. Yeah. And I might be wrong about this, but with the church calendar, it's like you got Pentecost and then it's like a season, right? Yeah. Which technically lasts through October. <laughs> Am I Isn't wrong about crazy? that? So- it's like, it's like, Pentecost Sunday, and then the next thing we do, I think, is Advent. You're right. I want to look it up this so that I can actually speak to the dates. I, I feel like... There I, is a season of Pentecost, but then we do kind of switch into like a common time before we get to Advent. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why in our liturgical calendars, which is not something that we talk about in the life of the church, you know, primarily... I don't really understand why one day is represented by the red, um, the red banners, <laughs> you know, and having red as the color for the Holy Spirit, of course, on just in all of our decorations. And then we stop. Yeah. Because, you know, like I really appreciated over the last uh, several weeks how we didn't stop after the week of Easter talking about Easter. Um, and I know we don't do this every year, but Pastor Allen was really um, 
really wanting to just sit with the story of the resurrection for a while. And, and I know, I know that we all found it very powerful and helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after Easter, there's the season of Easter, Easter tide. Right. And, and so to sit with that was so great. And I think that there's just this assumption then that Pentecost happens and we may or may not, depending on the congregation and the pastor, actually talk about and celebrate Pentecost. But then there's this assumption that we just realize that that, that the Holy Spirit is now what's drawing and calling us to action. But the thing is that we call it ordinary time on a liturgical calendar. Yeah. Ordinary. Sounds kind of boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we call it the season after Pentecost? Yeah. Why don't we leave the red there? Reminding us of that power, speaking about it continually. Mm-hmm. Of all the... Um, you know, the big celebrations in the church, we like to talk about Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. But those two are the ones that have been kind of taken over by society. Right. Right, by the non-Christian culture. Hey, folks, Pentecost hasn't been taken over. Why aren't we doing something more with it? Yeah. That really makes it our own. That says, look at at what God does in our lives. And, And just showing that off, like, wow. How awesome would that be? Take that that ordinary time. Just make it the season of the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. And but we we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit throughout, you know, regular church stuff. Sure. Uh, the Spirit moves and guides and and wills. Um, you know, that's our bridge to God, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the Spirit's constantly moving, then I guess we should be too. But to kind of have it, you know, off to the side of our mind. Yeah. Not on the back burner, but right. like somewhere else on the stove. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it feels like a missed opportunity and a, a, a missed experience that the church has. Sure. Because um, yeah. I mean, realistically, even though Christmas is like the big thing that we always do, in my mind, without the resurrection, Christmas would just be another day. Right. Yeah, yeah. Without the resurrection, Good Friday would just be the story of a martyr. Mm. Mm-hmm. Without the outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, we would just be another group of people. Mm. So, yeah. I, I, I seriously think that as a church worldwide, we are missing something pivotal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it also so it's so important that we hear and that we we just claim the fact that it's the Holy Spirit that enables us. You know, I really I really tried to hit home on that um, in my sermon there on Pentecost because we all have so many things that just go through our heads that. We just don't feel like we're able. We don't feel like we're equipped. We don't feel like we have the words. We don't feel like we're adequate. 
So we need to remember and 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 recognize this this capacity that is within each one of us and that the Holy Spirit is what causes it to to bubble up and grow and and that's where we find the words to say and that's how we become articulate not because we score high on some aptitude test mm-hmm. but we don't take the time to see how the spirit is working within us and and what the spirit's enabling us to do and so then we just sit and have our little pity parties you know inside our own heads of like well I'm not really good enough like I, you know I I hate to say it but I think maybe somebody needs to hear it the number of times that as a pastor I hear people say oh I'm not comfortable praying in a group and it just hurts my heart because there's something within them that's telling them they are not adequate. Mm-hmm. They're not eloquent. And that somehow that equates to their ability to speak to God with brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet it's the Holy Spirit that will enable you. You have that within you. Even if you're just saying, thanks God for this meeting and these people. You don't need to say anything other than that. Right. But if the Spirit leads you to, then go gangbusters. You Mm -hmm. know, you never know. I I think some people think, too, that like, oh, well, that she's a pastor, and so she prays all the time. and, And yeah, that's true. But I'm not just praying something that... I f- I'm feeling like, oh, I'm just going to say something about this and something about that. Yeah. I don't have it planned out. I mean, the, the prayers are spirit-led. Yep. And while, yes, sometimes, you know, especially in church, I'm going to want to, like, I want to make sure that I'm praying for those who are sick or, uh, you know, I'm praying for our community or the world or our church. Um, I, I don't always have that scripted. But I want to let the spirit move. Mm-hmm. And so you, you just kind of do it. Now, I will say, too, just a little side note about prayer before we end up down a rabbit hole. Just real <laughs> quick. Um, listen, if you're not comfortable praying, but you think it's something you really want to do, find a book of prayers. Yeah. Pray those. Because all of a sudden, you're going to end up with language that you appreciate that you want to use yeah. and it's just going to be a part of your prayer life. So there's just a, a little aside. Maybe we'll do a series on prayer here for a podcast or something. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> but but um, but there's just your little helpful thing. Go find a book on prayers and uh, that's full of prayers. Because if you read and pray through some written ones, it'll expand your prayer life. Yeah. Yeah. I had one. I had one in college and I think it was the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. I think that's like the the kind of popular one that gets passed mm-hmm. around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those prayers are very poetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't want you falling into the trap thinking I have to be poetic right. in right. my prayer. I think that's a lot, something that people get caught up on. Well, a lot of those prayers are definitely older language. No, that's true too. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, definitely. I think of a more poetic time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the essence of, 
you know, what, what the, the author of that prayer was trying to get across. Yeah. It's, it's simple. Right. Having experience with, uh, just expression Mm -hmm. in that form, uh, that'll, that definitely helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's the Holy Spirit that enables us. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us capable. It's the Holy Spirit who places those words or pushes us to to have a conversation with somebody or mm-hmm. you know that's what makes us um able to do these things. Uh, to be able to share our faith, to be able to have a random conversation with a stranger, um even if you're the most introverted person around. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we need to be excited about and sharing about and talking about, you know, in a season. I, I would I think that's so great. Like, why don't we have a season of Pentecost that, yeah. that causes us to to just sit there? Now, if you go through lectionary, um, lectionary readings and teachings, um, so for those of us who've never heard that word before, the lectionary is a three-year cycle that takes us through the majority, not all of the scriptures, but the majority of the scriptures. Um, and 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 so it the lectionary begins in Advent every year and then uh, takes us through, you know, all of Advent, um, all of Lent, Easter, Pentecost, what is considered ordinary time, um, which really ends up being a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But the lectionary is Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, um, usually a psalm or a proverb every um, every week for like the weekend worship for Sundays. Uh, but then there's also the like the daily lectionary where you mm. get a lot more. So that's what the lectionary is, but um, yeah. So we so we do tend to spend a little time in Acts after Pentecost has happened, um, but we still call it ordinary time. Yeah, that's just so crazy, <laughs> so crazy. So Pentecost, um, yeah, I, I I agree. A lot of the Protestant churches just don't give it a lot of emphasis. Yeah. So I'm glad that we do. I think we should do more, mm-hmm. but yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, the newest, the newest emphasis, at least within the last couple of years, uh, for us has been having Confirmation Sunday beyond Pentecost, uh, which I think is a statement in and of itself. True. Yep. Um, but Confirmation's always confused me a little bit. Mm. Uh, I understand the taking ownership of, uh, of your faith, mm-hmm. especially when you've been baptized as an infant. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't fully understand the transition from like original baptism, which was kind of what confirmation has become. It's people stepping out saying that I want this, uh, you know, John was baptizing those who wanted uh, wanted to be a part of what he was preaching before Jesus showed up. Um, Jesus talks about baptizing in the Spirit. So, what what changed? What, why is baptism something? I guess a little bit different, and then confirmation's kind of this thing that's similar but attached to it, but also its own thing. 
it just it it feels it feels important to me, but it also feels strange. I hear you. And I, I feel like I'm not alone. <laughs> but I also feel like a lot of people are just like, eh, the church does it. I'll go along with it because mm. it kind of makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's a good like it's a good that you brought up uh, a couple of different things. So, yeah. So John the Baptist was baptizing people. Um, you know, before Jesus' ministry really took off, right? And so, um, so there were people who were kind of doing that, being getting prepared, kind of thing. And uh, so, a lot of people will talk about a believer's baptism. Mm-hmm. So there are certain Christian uh, denominations that believe that you are baptized at the same time you profess Jesus Christ um, as your Lord and Savior. So so they're standing and saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for our sins. You know, I believe that God raised him from the dead, he, that he ascended, that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon him, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, um, and that is when they are then baptized. And you'll see that... Um, um, a lot of the time believers baptism in certain denominations, it will be when people are like, you know, a teenager. Um, but then, and and they'll have like the big baptismal pools, like Mm -hmm. in their churches or something. Um, and that's a, that's a big deal, of course. So there are some churches that, that will do that. And, and also, you know, it's interesting within denominations that some, um, want you to go through that that process. Um, so, you know, a personal story, my grandparents had been members of a Lutheran church their entire lives. They had been baptized when they were children, had been confirmed in the church and on and on. Faithful, faithful attenders. Um, oh my goodness, did they love Jesus. Uh, but they moved uh, at one point in their 70s. They just went to a small little apartment, right? And the town that they moved to didn't, it was far enough away from their from their Lutheran church, they just went to a local Baptist church. They wanted to join the church, and that church said, well, you have to be baptized. So here are my 70-plus-year-old grandparents who had been baptized, faithful members of a church, um, but they wanted to join this church. And so they wrote out their... their um, testimony and their belief in Jesus. And they were baptized there in that little Baptist church because they wanted to be members. So there's, you know, there's one denomination that says, this is important that you have a believer's baptism, um, regardless of what your past has been. But then, so then within scripture though, we get into Acts and we'll read about how entire households were baptized yeah. after hearing the good news of Jesus. And when, when it talks about entire households, it's talking men, women, slaves, children, everyone in the household. Mm-hmm. That um, 
you know, so that that's saying that even before a child or or even an individual that may not have the verbal capacity to be able to declare for themselves a belief in Jesus, that that entire household is going to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ mm. through baptism. So now you also have the denominations within the Christian faith, um, both Catholic and Protestant, who say a child, a baby, an infant can be baptized. And um, and that is the, is the significance of saying this person is a part of the family of God. So it's more than just like a dedication. Exactly. Okay. Yep. A dedication is completely different because the because those denominations that have a believer's baptism typically do have a dedication where they do bring a, a child whenever a child's born or, you know, a young child to say, I'm dedicating this child to God um, and asking for the congregation to support us and pray for us and all of that. Um but then there are the other other denominations like the United Methodist Church that say there's nothing to keep this child from being baptized because entire households were baptized. So so we can have this child baptized. This child is a part of the family of God and then at a certain point in their lives we're going to invite them to affirm those vows and make those confessions for themselves. Okay. Right? So yeah, I mean those vows are very similar that parents might ha- take for at a baptism um, of an infant, and then those vows that uh, are then reaffirmed by the individual at their confirmation. Very similar, very similar. Um, but it's now that individual who typically is in their teens mm-hmm. making that declaration of faith. But then, you know, um, something that I believe and that is part of our denomination's beliefs are that um, when you've been baptized, God's work is done. You know, you don't need to do that again. You don't need to be baptized a second time as if the first time didn't take or it wasn't real. Yeah. Right? God's work in your life is is happening already, Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't need to be done again. Now, there are people who, who as adults, even though they've been baptized as a, as a child, will come and say, I'd like to be baptized um, just so that I can recognize the significance of, you know, this choice of faith for myself. Yeah. And so I get that. And I'll have that conversation with folks about, you know, your baptism was once and for all. Mm-hmm. But I get that sometimes you just feel the need to be able to have that experience to remember, to commemorate, you know, somehow just kind of make it a a special thing. Yeah. Um, so. Well, the one thing that I appreciate, uh, at least about the Methodist Church, I'm assuming this is like this everywhere else. Um, I was baptized and confirmed Catholic. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Um, and when I came here, I joined the church on my own and then my family followed. Um, but what I've come to discover is that 
some of the same vows that I took when joining the church are similar to what contramands profess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, se- it seems to me like what we have is a structure of uh, baptism being joining the family and you, your parents uh, bringing you into that. You declaring that those are true, whether or not your parents are making you do that or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But then, you know, if you if you go to a different church and you actually join, then you're you're reaffirming what you've confirmed at confirmation. Yeah. And it's it's definitively your choice at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like it's just this long process building up for an individual to say, yeah, I want to be a part of what God's doing. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part of the family. Mm-hmm. I just want to do stuff with the church. Yeah. Because there's value there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, yeah, there's value there. That's, it's what God's calling, calling us to do and be. It's who we're supposed to be as Christ followers. It's who we're supposed to be as the church that, um, that we bear witness to one another and to those around us, that this is who I am. Mm. This is the life that I am choosing to lead. But, you know, something else that I appreciate that you just shared, too, that I think is important for us to hear is that, um, you know, you just shared that you were actually baptized and confirmed in the Catholic Church. And then you chose to um, to join this church, Chippewa United Methodist Church. Um, and And so I think it's significant for people to hear that that the baptism you received, the confirmation that you participated in, are ones that um, this denomination recognizes. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't say, oh, well, you'll have to go through this all again um, because, you know, we don't really think God was doing anything in your life until now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? It kind of feels like that sometimes. And... um but the fact that you were baptized, the fact that you um, had gone through all of those classes, whatever, um, we're like, yeah, of course you can be a member of this church. Let's just have you affirm mm-hmm. those things that you believe, those things that you already know to be true about God, because um, they're the same things that we affirm and believe about God. Yeah. And that's just, you know, just to be a part of the family of God and to be able to recognize those things like these are the core things these are the things that matter that we recognize that there's evil in this world that we that we declare you know God's power against evil that our desire is to live for God we recognize who God is who Jesus is we recognize the holy spirit and and together we want to you know be a community of believers that's all about the transformation of the world. Awesome. Yeah. That's it. That's the important stuff. And then we get bogged down in the weeds with mm-hmm. <laughs> all the yep. other things, which is why we have like all of these nom- denominations and all of these little intricacies. But but when it comes down to it, this is the important stuff. Yeah. And, you know, that's really important that we – I kind of – I really hope anyways – that over the several weeks that we spent with our confirmation students 
here recently. I really hope that they're getting that above anything else. You know, of course, as a United Methodist Church, we talk about John Wesley, the founder of, um, you know, who's credited with the being the founder of the, uh, the Methodist movement. Yeah, we talk about that. And, and we talk about, you know, how this church is um, different or the things that we do for our community or something like that. We talk about what makes us unique, I guess. But, um, but really what it comes down to is we want to encourage them in their faith, encourage them in affirming those same vows uh, that we that we hear across the dominant denominations. Mm-hmm. I love it real quick. I'll just share um, one of the first times my husband and I had gone to a church uh, as we were just, you know, just married. Uh, we went for a Christmas Eve service and it was a communion service and it was, you know, it was it was. I mean, it was a great service. I loved it. But we left that church um, as we were kind of church shopping, as they say. And uh, and he was like, I don't know if I can go back there. And I was like, what? Why not? He goes, it sounded too Catholic. He was raised <laughs> Catholic. Um, but, you know, the funny thing is that it's true that there's so much of our liturgy, whether we're Catholic, United Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal, um, there's so much of our prayers that sound similar. Mm-hmm. It's because we believe the same things. It's because we recognize the same things around communion and baptism and all of these different things within the life of the church. And and so instead of it being a glaring, um, obvious thing of how different we are, it should be something that we recognize is our commonality. Yeah. And yeah. It's pretty cool. So I think of that every time we do confirmation and and get to be a part of that. It's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Thanks for answering some of those questions. Oh, sure. I hope it was helpful. And I'm sure there are some more. I'm sure there's more questions. So, hey, this is a great reminder. If you're listening and you're like, wait a minute, I don't know about that. Or if it just called up a question within you, type it out, share it with us, ask questions. Um, it could lead us to another podcast and more on the topic. And we'll be sure to answer those if, as soon as we see them. Hopefully you are uh, liking, subscribing, sharing, commenting. Those are the ways that we get this podcast out to more people and um, get more contact and involvement. So we hope you're doing all those things. Yep. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, uh, Spotify now, and on SoundCloud. If you have questions, make sure that you uh, send us a message on our church Facebook page. You can find us there at Chippewa United Methodist Church. Um, Send us a message uh, saying, hey, I got something for everyday theologian and we'd love to talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we'll see you here again next week uh, with uh, our children's director and that'll be a fun conversation. Absolutely. It'll be a good one. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.